Hello and welcome to Medic in the Middle. My name is Tom Alderson and I'm a registered paramedic working in the West Midlands. So this podcast um, is going to be the first in a new set of podcasts uh, exploring a range of different topics, issues and articles. Uh, This particular series will feature guests from a range of different both in-hospital and pre-hospital specialties. Um, Today we're going to be talking about um, all things maternity. Um, I have with me two midwives um, who are currently working in Birmingham. We're going to be covering a range of topics today. We're going to be talking about uh, the different stages of labour. We're going to be talking about physiology and how that changes during pregnancy. We're going to be covering normal birth and birthing complications that can occur, such as shoulder dystocia, breech birth and cord prolapse, and how to manage these conditions. We're also going to be covering uh, care of a newborn, preterm delivery and complications for mothers such as PPH and eclampsia. As I mentioned, we are lucky to have Lauren and Heather. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hello, thanks hi, for coming in. Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks for providing the tea. Yeah, yeah we no need worries. To. Tea, tea's on the house. <laughs> tea's on the house. So yeah, I think we should just dive straight in with it. We'll have a chat about stages of labour. Yeah, so... Um, first stage of labour really is at the start of everything it's where the uterus is uh, contracting and retracting so that means that um, the muscle contracts but it also gets smaller as it's doing that mm. and that and that's the thing that expels the baby out and obviously with the cervix dilating as well so when the contraction start it opens and dilates the cervix um, during this time as well the, the cervix is shortening becoming thinner and moving forward um from a posterior position um it can take a while first time mums or even you know second time mums or number 16 yeah <laughs> we found it does more, take a, a while in some, have, some cases and and it's quite quick in other cases so I know, I know for us it's like that's like a question that we'll ask first time we walk into a house you know if, we, if we're walking in and there, there is a maternity it's like his first or second pregnancy because we, we do know like the, the second one tends to just bomb out a lot faster it than, can do you know. yeah it can do because it's all obviously your cervix has been opened before already yeah. so your cervix unfortunately never goes back to how yeah. it was pre-pregnancy and your first pregnancy so we, we do expect your it, deliveries to go quicker mm. um and the process to be quicker however it's not always the same just because every baby is different every pregnancy is different yeah, yeah. it all depends on the position of the baby and where's this baby positioned into the pelvis correctly or not? Right. Yeah. Um, and um, I think sometimes the sort of fitness level and, and yeah. age of the mum as well, um, younger tends women to tend to, you know, go quicker. Um, and, and people that are active, you know, their muscles are going to be in better condition. So right, they're going to. Okay what you've got to think about is their medical conditions and yeah. if they've got anything related to pregnancy so for example gestational diabetes you expect this baby's going to be more macrosomic so bigger so that's going to be it might make a difference i like that one yeah so larger just larger fetus large baby yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. they've got like more fat and everything because obviously the sugars and stuff sometimes um and ladies can get diabetes in pregnancy which is called gestational mm-hmm. um but yeah as well like to be fair, one of our risk factors is raised BMI, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But it is 
it is difficult, isn't it, to see? So how long, like, in like as a general rule of thumb, like, for, like first, so first stages of labour, in if it's like the first, the first pregnancy, how I long 12, typically? Yeah, so about twelve hours from four centimetres dilated, contracting regularly. Right. That's our definition of being established in labour. First stage. Um, so obviously you can be contracting before then um and it can be really uncomfortable for people but the but our definition of established yes. labor is four centimeters so when you hear the women really. saying i was in labor for 48 hours it's like technically no <laughs> established labor first stage of labor is from four centimeters and onwards so they can be in early labor for a couple of days and then um yeah about about 12 hours as a very rough yeah, guide. Yeah, we say for first-time mums, it's one That would change, I think, with induction as well. Yeah. So for first-time mums, it's usually, isn't it, it's one centimetre every two hours, so they expect to yeah. dilate. And second, third, fourth. One centimetre every hour, Every roughly. hour. But it all depends if they need any extra to try and get them contractions going, because sometimes mm. um, they do need inductions. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. not coming, so... Yeah. It all depends what they need. Or augmentation. So they could maybe become established labour themselves and something happens and the contractions dwindle. So we augment the labour um, with the hormone drip. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is that oxytocin drips? That yeah, so about yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's different methods of in, induction Yeah. Um, and augmentation. So um, we kind of... If the cervix is closed, firm, posterior, thick, we're going to be using um, prostaglandins. prostaglandins, which are propess and prostin, and we use um, two propesses over sort of 24 hours each, and prostin at the end of our induction process. Right, And yeah. then we try and break the waters, which we call ARM, which is artificial rupture of membranes. Yeah. And then once that's happened, we can use a hormone drip. And you might not need all of these things, but th- that's the full process that yeah. we would use. So sometimes some of the ladies will will actually go into labour with just the prostaglandin, so with like the propest. So there's lots of reasons why we would induce um so growth restricted babies, um, obstetricodostasis, uh Gestational diabetes. What was that last one you said? Sorry, obstetric cholestasis. Right, that's a new one for me. What's (laughs) what's that? So um, it's it affects your liver, liver, um, and your your liver enzymes become deranged. Okay, yeah, Um, yeah. I think I've heard about this because I've seen in some pregnancies with women they just they become that odd like jaundice colour, don't they? So is that the kind of thing we're talking about? Yes, they get mainly itchy on their hands and feet specifically. Right. So. And they usually, if they've had it before in one pregnancy, they'll have it again and probably sooner in the next. And you can have medication for it. Yeah. But they usually like to induce from 37 weeks. Because, because it's associated with stillbirth. Yeah. If they've got this... this yeah, yeah, so the later they yeah. leave so you, the pregnancy. you'll be seeing these ladies weekly in your day assessment unit um, to make sure that their blood levels are not going too, too deranged and that we've got control of it. Okay. Also, thinking like preeclampsia, you would induce for, because um, yeah. obviously you're gonna, it's more than likely you're gonna see growth restriction with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. and like gestational diabetes, uh, or just type one, type two diabetes, like Lauren was saying earlier, their their fat distribution is different, so they can get chunkier shoulders, which are more likely to get stuck. 
Is that conditions talk- like yeah, shoulder to toe strain? Yeah, that's like a bit that. later, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll talk about that later. But that's that's reason we don't want these babies to get too too big for the mum. So you'd rather induce them earlier, and they've got a higher chance of having a vaginal delivery. Yeah. Compared to having a cesarean section. Right. Okay. So there's a lot of we have a lot of inductions. Let's put it that way. Yeah. 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 A lot yeah, more than we day. want <laughs> every day. Oh, okay. But um, see, so yeah, that's obviously if they don't go into labour themselves. Yeah. And obviously they they need to be induced for those reasons. But with the first stage labour, it usually does just go. And it's a spontaneous labour. You probably don't need to do anything, yeah. which would be nice. Um, yeah. Sometimes, depending on the position, um, the labour can last longer. So the position of the baby, if it's um, OP, then it can... So back-to-back back people, to back. you've probably heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When it's like, oh, my baby was back-to-back, and it was just it's not a really good position for baby um, to be able to get into the pelvis and deliver. That's when you usually find it's much slower... Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But we obviously but they get because a lot we, of, we normally like the like kind of like the posterior of the baby being at mum's belly, don't we? It's like the, yeah. obviously nose nose is coming out to bottom and then um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, and they they tend to get a lot of pressure with it as well. So they sometimes think they're ready to push, but they're not. And you don't want someone to push on the cervix because it will become edematous, and then it won't. Dilate well. Is that when we have to look into things like C sections, yeah. etc.? Because like the vaginal delivery is going to well be obstructive yeah. labour. You can sort of tell, yeah. And that not all the time. Like these babies can be delivered in different positions, yeah. but it's just much longer. And sometimes you may need to intervene, right? Okay. Or get appropriate pain relief so that the mum stops pushing. Yeah, like so epidurals can help. Stuff, yeah. Okay, cool. So, second stage of labour then. This is like really when sort of birth this is imminent. Is the fun bit. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is the get this ready to catch. This is midwives do yeah. deliver babies. Yeah. Um, so the second stage is from when uh, the cervix is ten centimeters dilated, um, and the essentially the mum can start pushing, and you know we're going to see the baby born. So the start of it is from when you're 10 centimetres and then the end of the second stage is when the baby's born. Right, okay. Um, I think we have got some guidelines, haven't we, from like, is it ambulance care practice that's we've, we've kind of dug out? Yeah. Um, so just here, it just talks about the mechanisms of labour. So what happens in the second stage? Right, There's okay. a lot of just, it's not just having a baby that quick. It can take a long time. Right. The first time ones, we, we allow three hours for the second stage. Mm. So pushing. Um, That's quite a long time, isn't it? Just to be yeah. like, just to be pushing. If everything's okay, obviously most of our ladies, especially me and Helen, being on delivery suite, we're on a content. They're on a continuous monitor, yeah. So we can see how this baby's coping. Right. Whereas up on the low risk unit, where we just use auscultation, so we'll just be listening via a sonic aid yeah. every mm. five minutes. Um, they can you can do it up to three hours. It is long, but by the first hour, you you sort of know if it's going to come or not, mm. don't you? Or if if you're gonna to need to intervene, you yeah, you do start you you start seeing changes. It might not necessarily be that you oh the head's there and you can see it, but you can see like bulging and gaping, and you know that yeah. So like the first thing you'd, want, you'd be seeing would be descent. Right. So okay. in the second stage. So is this like in all things being well? Is this just the descent of the occiput down? Yeah. So it's canal? just when the fetus descends into the pelvis due right. to the contractions, and obviously the lady will be pushing at this point as well. Um, 
you then hopefully be able to see we call it the PP so the vertex presenting part. Yeah, yeah the presenting part is visible so that's when you know she's progressing well um, and then there's flexion when the fetal head flexes downwards um, to allow the narrowest di diameters of the fetal skull um, and that's again when it's just presenting into the vagina so like right. Helen was saying you can see that bulge you can see like the it all the head just being there like the so is this is this there. like the, the crowning stage we kind so of talk about yet, is you're not even on the crowning stage right. yet so obviously this can happen really quickly mm. so you won't necessarily see it yeah yeah the, sure sometimes i turn around and the baby's out <laughs> yeah, yeah i know that. i certainly i've been to uh, quite a few of those especially ones especially yeah. yourselves being in power you know in in the home setting if it's going to come it's going to come quickly mm. um but yeah the mechanisms you can just sometimes it's easy to see isn't it in the first first and then you can some, so the, um the baby rotates as well inside obviously a head is a big thing to get through a pelvis <laughs> so it has to <laughs> rotate in a certain way um so you you've got the um smallest presenting diameter coming through um and but you can sometimes see babies rotate yeah, can't you, you can. as they're coming and it's sometimes when they are in that back back to back position you can see them rotate as they come back to, to the OA position can't yeah. you you um, can just see like the presenting part it, just you, turning yeah. yeah and you know like it's pretty amazing really like this baby knows it needs to turn to get out so you just see their head turning when you when you're seeing this in the midwife sort of department are you when you say you can see the presenting part moving around is that via kind of like different sort of uh, sort of scans or ultrasound no, and things like that? Is that, like, the, is the that actually visually in. like yeah, visually when, you when can it's see like it. okay, right? Yeah. yeah. And then like coming through the vagina, you can you can just see it moving. And then after that will be the crowning stage. Right. So okay. once it's done the turning, and then it's extending, it's still descending. That's when it's crowning. There is a big bulge. Yeah. It just it looks huge, doesn't it? Like yeah. most of the time, oh, that's a big head. Yeah. But then it just seems to not be big when it comes yeah. out. I think pre-hospitally for, for, for paramedics as well, certainly, I think there's kind of like this kind of like transition is, is quite, there's quite a lot of different components in there to this transition. I think for paramedics, like sometimes there's a tendency for us just to be like, are they crowning? Yes or no. Yeah. Can we get them to hospital? Yes or no. Like, have we got time to, to sort of, you know, stay and play or are we just going to sort of scoop so, and yeah. run? I would, I would say that if you've got... Um, someone who's who know they they know that that they baby's know. come in mm. um even if it's their first baby they will know because they can feel it inside so always listen to the mom i always say that i always listen to the woman because they know their body and you can just tell they transition don't they yeah and they you just know so if i'd say if to move them to hospital or not if you can tell them like the baby's coming mm. just make sure i have a look down below before you even move them if there's a head there just deliver the baby make sure the baby's okay put baby skin to skin yeah. and then transfer because that is the safest place for that baby to be cool and at the point where the the sort of crowning that's when they need to sort of slow that pushing down as well um you know obviously we're like the cheerleaders of push 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 yeah, push push and then we're like no don't push yeah. <laughs> now breathe at that point they need to try and breathe to reduce the risk of um tearing so mm. it's it's to try and slow everything down so the tissue's got time to stretch um and accommodate this head coming through which is really difficult for a woman 
Um, yeah, that when they've got that They call it the ring verge. of fire with yeah. knives. So they do just want to push it out and make sure, you know, just to get rid of that pain. Yeah. But, but it's really important. That's because, when you reach the tearing. So, yeah, yeah, you don't want, you know, most of the time, most ladies will get first degree, second degrees, but you're trying to prevent the, the worst of tears, so the third and the fourths, right. and that goes straight through. Um, to the anus. Yeah, which yeah. is not the best tear, especially for afterwards as well, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's not really. It can lead to quite a lot of complications. Complications. After yeah, and it extended rehab time as well, really, isn't it? As well. Yeah. Like and if you've had it once before, you might, you know, you have that. I mean, we 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 can't. Again. There's nothing you can do to fully prevent a tear, because obviously that's like genetically what their skin is going to do, and some people have stretchier skin than other people. But you can you can try your best to damage control, I suppose. So, you know. Yeah. Limit, limit. The if you amount. can see a tear, and sometimes you can, you can tell when they're going to tear. Just mm. put your hand there, on the baby's head. on the baby's head, and it's just sort of pushing the baby back, mm. so it's preventing Slightly. that pressure yeah. onto the perineum. Is this maybe because like we talk about like axial traction? So is that somewhat different to what you're all sort of mentioning? So for for us, obviously pre-hospitally, we we kind of like like to keep hands off as much as possible because we haven't yeah. got like kind of more in-depth training as you guys have. But I know. Um, some guidelines in, in paramedic practice will talk about axial traction. So that would be once the head's out, isn't it? Yeah. yeah and then you you want to aid the delivery of the, the body. Right, okay. So that is the axial traction. That's what we would do as well. Yeah. yeah. Most of the time it would just deliver itself. Mm. Um, but if you just, you know, that ba- that head's out, obviously you haven't got very long until this baby becomes compromised. So we do need to get the body out within well, a few minutes. A few minutes. Yeah, yeah. So the um, so when the the head then delivers, just make sure the the chin is out, um, because obviously if the chin's not out, then if you've got any problems with the rest of the baby delivering, you're not going to be sure because mm. you've not got the head delivered properly, mm. um, and then you will notice pro- probably the baby restitute, so it, yeah. it turns slightly, and that's to allow the shoulders to come through, um, and it. It, well, you'll see it just moves either to like one side or the other, just to try the and left get or the right. Um, if it doesn't restitute, that can be a warning sign for shoulder dystocia. Mm. Um, you get that kind of head bobbing motion, don't yeah, you? Yeah, turtle about. necking. Turtle necking. Yeah, 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 when it goes really tight towards mm. the perineum, that's um, a sign that this bit like the shoulders are impacted. So yeah, that would be something to get a bit twitchy about yeah yeah <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that it will be a shoulder dystocia no. but it can just be a warning you just you, you prepare for it then you yeah. just like okay so what do i need to do now so you you know you can either get the woman in a different position just to widen that diameter to aid this um the shoulder to come to be delivered and then obviously when when the baby's restituted and the next contraction comes you can then deliver the rest of the baby yeah using the actual traction yeah if i could just swoop in with the sort of jar calc guidelines for a normal birth management for us for ourselves it's it's, like you said it's it's kind of similar to what you guys have have already mentioned anyway for us they kind of simplify a little bit um so obviously mothers in labor who undertake just a general primary survey um your birth is imminent so like you said with, with things like we talked about like crowning etc like more than 10 centimeters dilated um jar count guidelines of 2017 uh update i think it is uh the next step on on the, the algorithm is request a midwife if available but of course not always going to be um 
available on hand to come out to see and depending on where where you are um, geographically um, we've got sort of prepare for worst case scenario newborn life support sometimes the babies just need a bit of uh, what's this? yeah sort of stimulation uh, to, to just to take their first breath uh, reassure mum and get mum into a comfortable position uh, provide entonox for pain relief do you guys tend to is entonox the thing that you guys will use first in hospital line, really. yeah but we wouldn't sound quite mean second stage I'm like when they're pushing mm. I don't you want that baby. it can, can, can confuse pushing a little bit yeah because when you're pushing you're holding your breath and pushing mm. whereas if you breathe in the gas you're you breathing know. yeah so you can't breathe and hold your breath at the same time so it yeah. depends on the mum because some can just have some that little some are really good they just know what they need that little, that little bit suck of at the start and then, and then they push but some people just they just end up breathing and obviously if, if especially if there's a if you're thinking that there's um you know concerning features on the monitoring you want the baby to be born you need to get them focused and yeah and sometimes entox can be a bit of a distraction can't it especially yeah. for first time mums that aren't used to the mechanisms as well of they're just focused on how to use the entox correctly aren't yeah. they, rather than just what needs to get done and they, what, they don't want to be in pain either which no. is understandable yeah. but you know i would say it's our one of our first line treatments not a sort of treatment but like first line analgesias for labour is yeah. gas. Um, and Most then, ladies do use it, don't they? Yeah, and then pethidine. And then, and then you've got your epidural. epidural. And we've got water as well, because we've got the pool. Yeah. Um, but norm- most women um, do use a bit of gas, like Lauren said. And I think it just... And even if it's just for examinations, isn't it? Like, yeah. And once a baby's born as well, like mm. I will give it back afterwards, because obviously we need to inspect the perineum once a baby's born. I do give it back to them then. It's yeah. just the second stage. I prevent to try and prevent them to but, not yeah, have yeah. it because actually, like Helen says, it does sort of confuse them and we need this baby out. Yeah. And then once baby's born, obviously everything's a bit tender. Give yeah. it back again. So you've got the placenta, which will be moving on to the third stage. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, you've got, you know, you think that's it once, once a baby's born, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so next on the algorithm that we've got is just thoroughly dry baby once it is born. Obviously, it's really important to try and keep this baby warm, isn't it? Because they reduce yeah, surface area, well, the increased surface area relative to this sort of a full grown adult. Yeah. Um, they're going to be quite prone to becoming hypothermic quicker. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just really important for us to try and, especially pre hospitally as well, um, just really focus on keeping baby warm. So, we'll do things like keep the run locks on the ambulances. They're a bit like the old ice cream vans, a lot of them. Um, where you can leave the engine running without the keys yeah. so one of us might go out and just try and leave the engine running so when we do get on um, it's nice and warm for the baby the most important thing there I would say is if you're in that position just put that baby if everything's okay with the baby put baby skin to skin with mum dry, yeah. dry, well, dry baby first put it straight to mum skin to skin put a hat on baby yeah, yeah. Or because yeah, they the use ambience. a lot of Ambulance hats are of most importance for us. Yeah, and then put like warm towels yeah. or warm piece of clothing over the mum uh-huh. and baby. Yeah. Um, and that'll be the way to keep this baby's temperature. That'll be the best way. And that's what yeah. we do, don't we? Yeah. Even in hospital, mm-hmm. we don't put this baby under the heater unless we've got concerns. It goes straight to mum yeah. and stays with mum and then hopefully it may, may, may be able to breastfeed and, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. So that is the best way to keep baby warm, especially yeah. when you're moving. Because I know it's difficult when you're... Um, going in and out of the um, ambulance. Yeah. Especially when it's a cold day and it's... um, Yeah, yeah, that is the most important thing. Yeah, just skin to skin. Yes. 
Lots and lots of towels, and most importantly, well, we, we always try to remember the ambulance hat, so we'll always make sure most baby gets a hat. Most of the time, they should have their bags ready, shouldn't they? Yeah. yeah. Like hats, there will be one available, but if not, you can always just put the towel over it, or yeah, you know, yeah. Just, just work with it, just make sure that baby's head's covered, is what I'd say. Um, so... Next on the list is allow the umbilical cord to stop pulsating, obviously prior to clamping and cutting. Um, so I think there's different kind of guidelines, and they depend on like for us, I think they err on a side of caution. It's like I think some of the guidelines certainly used to say it's like fifth, allow 15 minutes, but I know really realistically, it's the cord will stop pulsating quite considerably less time than 15 minutes. And you ask, is it am I right in saying you are sort of safe to cut the cord as long as it stops pulsating? Obviously. 15 minutes is quite a long time to wait yeah. isn't it, so, yeah, it but goes... then I would also say unless the unless a woman is bleeding there's no emergency to cut it it doesn't no so I have one the other day that cut. the placenta was delivered and baby was so attached yeah because yeah. actually there was no reason like we do say in the hospital don't we if, obviously it depends how baby is as well mm. it'll be difficult you know if we do need um to do some newborn resuscitation but even then there's like guidance on it saying actually keeping it attached to the placenta is the best thing yeah and you can actually do you should well in Bed, the low risk bedside, bedside yeah um, mm. newborn, which well, what you'll be doing yeah in, yeah, yeah. in a home no. setting which mm. would be the best thing but yeah um I think just giving that baby so, as much you know, blood is the best thing. Yeah, there's no real rush then to, no. to be cutting this cord. Certainly not for us pre hospitally as well. I would well, just then. say if there was concerns with mum and you were concerned about bleeding mm-hmm. with the mum, there yeah. was a lot of bleeding, you need, you know, that's when yeah, probably you do she need may to. deteriorate and actually maybe then the baby needs to go to another family member. Yeah, and yeah. they can do skin to skin. Yeah, it doesn't stop them. Yeah. You know, it. it it doesn't mean that because the baby's not on the mum anymore that the they can't be any skin to skin. Other family members can do it, um, and it's just going to be as beneficial for the baby. Yeah. Um, but you know, you you might need to keep a closer eye on mum. Yeah. Uh, at that point. Um, so yeah, next is like delivery. This is like the third stage of labour, isn't it? So for us, so um, placenta delivery. Um, so GR Calc twenty seventeen guidelines sort of state that placenta delivery may take sort of on average sort of 15 to 20 minutes after birth um so it just says here <laughs> do not pull the cord um, i would hope that's kind of like um fairly self-explanatory um deliver placenta for us into a plastic bag for a midwife to inspect yeah. Um, yeah. and check for kind of completeness just to check there's no sort of residual tissue left inside um assess and record estimated blood loss pre-hospitally it's probably quite important for you guys to know how much sort of blood mother's lost uh, yeah yeah um, if placenta remains undelivered uh, with minimal bleeding uh, our guidelines just state to transfer to the nearest appropriate destination which is just going to be obviously well most of the time obviously we're working in within Birmingham so you're probably going to be able to be pretty lucky and just go to the one that she's booked in at aren't you yeah um, so we obviously in um delivery suite setting we offer uterotonic so um either oxytocin or syntometrin which is oxytocin and ergometrin combined um and oxytocin works by contracting the uterus and ergometrin contracts the blood vessels Mm -hmm. so um we would only give syntometrin to ladies that don't have any problems with the blood pressure because obviously the ergometrin works by constricting blood vessels so if you've got someone with raised blood pressure you don't want to give them that 
and then it will raise their blood pressure more because it, it doesn't just work on the uterus, the ergometry, it's like, you know, whole yeah, body thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously if we've got concerns with bleeding, we can give those. Yeah. Um, and we would expect the placenta to deliver within about 30 minutes with administration of uterotonics. Um, physiologically, it can take up to an hour, yeah. but obviously things that help are... Um, the mum being nice and calm, baby being baby skin, skin to skin, skin. breastfeeding, because um, that contracts it's, the uterus. Yeah, it stimulates that response, Yeah, so that's like it? that um, hormone release of oxytocin mm-hmm. that they have. So um, that will help with the placenta. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. we just get... If it's obviously... Bladder empty. Yeah, I was going to say, if you can get them into different positions as well. Right. Like sometimes change positions, but obviously at home setting... The best thing, like you say, if bleeding's minimal, just take the, just bring us to the hospital, bring the patient to hospital, and we'll take it. That's when we can give the, the um, anal- like the medications that mm-hmm. we can to help release this placenta. Worst case scenario, they'll need to go to theatre once once you're in hospital. Right. Um, and it's called a manual removal of the placenta. Um, so then they'll have good pain relief. Um, but that's like worst case scenario. Yeah. After we've done all our little bits and still the placenta isn't coming that's what will happen so and we check the placenta membranes to make sure that they're complete um and we check the number of vessels in the cord as well um and that that then just shows us that if it's complete we've got minimal risk for bleeding and infection if there's something retained then they maybe need to be examined by one of the doctors um to to check that there's nothing left in because they're that the uterus can't contract down properly yeah. if there's something retained and then obviously that's going to lead to infection and bleeding mm-hmm. cool so yeah i think uh if i may i'm going to just sort of dive in with a few um sort of physiological changes that i think are quite important for us because pre-hospital it's quite difficult to assess the, these these patients i think that are obviously uh in the later stages of pregnancy um so i think like knowing maybe some of the changes that go along sort of in the, in the physiological state in the, in the anatomy of the, of the patient might help us pre hospitals be able to kind of spot uh, maybe sort of early warning signs that something could be wrong um, before before birth or, or after birth etc um, so I think just defining the stages of pregnancy for us obviously we've got like first trimester which is 1 to 12 weeks yeah yep. mm-hmm. um, second trimester 13 to 25 and third trimester is uh, 26 plus weeks um, so these changes um, to sort of the, the anatomy of the patient uh, come from the GR Calc guidelines. Um, so in the cardiovascular sort of system, they experience an increase in cardiac output by 20 to 30 percent in the first 10 weeks of pregnancy. Um, so that's that's quite a lot, really, isn't it? Like just thinking about that. So it's like 20 yeah. to 30 percent of cardiac output is increased. That's just in the first 10 weeks. Um, so these patients can experience a heart rate increase generally of 10 to 15 beats per minute. The um, first 12 weeks is like where mostly everything happens, isn't it? It's mm. a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of changes, a lot of development changes as yeah. well. Yeah, um, and you know, the mum's probably going to feel worse at this point because you know she's going to probably have because of sickness, all the changes. Um, yeah. yeah just being really lethargic and tired mm. um, and obviously at this point you you could get some like hyperemesis 
which you know you might see morning sickness yeah, yeah that, that kind of thing all the time like right. some ladies oh it's not just morning sickness no, but just literally most of the time it's never the morning is it they just call yeah. that but some ladies can just are constantly vomiting like they can't keep anything and down which can is very um, dehydrated yeah as i say dehydrated it's probably yeah. a concern and then probably in these early stages of pregnancies like a miscarriage then probably could become more likely do you think if they become obviously the extreme point well, of dehydration it's not really that is not really the reason why they'll miscarry no it's just no you've just got to keep an eye on obviously we don't want this woman to become really poorly and unwell the fetus yeah. or embryo steals everything it needs really yeah just so that's in, in the, the fetus will be fine in that yeah the woman that's yeah okay suffers. <laughs> so um they can also uh experience a decrease in their systolic um blood pressure um, this is due to a reduction in peripheral vascular resistance or afterload as, as we call um, so this is caused by the release of uh, progesterone hormone um, which you guys probably know a lot more about than me <laughs> um, the weight of the uterus uh, from 20 weeks gestation onwards um, can cause compression of the inferior vena cava as well uh, which can reduce venous return for these patients um, that can sometimes lower the cardiac output um, and I think that's what we, when we were mentioning about like positioning earlier so it's like um, for up to like 40% of these women in a supine position they can get that like a reduced venous return from the, from the vena yeah. cava getting compressed um, which can like cause symptoms maybe like pre-syncope uh, pre episodes and like become dizzy um, they might feel very nauseous etc so this can be resolved for, well, for, for for those patients by just positioning them in a, in a lateral position to try and take the pressure off the vena cava so we get a, a, a more yeah, increased we, venous we, return. We uh, recommend a left lateral yeah, mm -hmm. position. Yeah. But we always try and get them, like Helen said, to be on their side. Yeah, yeah. That will just help them. Um, and obviously I think it's even difficult to lay on your flat on your back anyway when you're pregnant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so, so much weight, isn't it? Yeah, so I was just, just saying, just, they won't be able to get back up. Yeah, <laughs> you have to roll. Yeah. You get used to rolling a lot in pregnancy. So they also have uh, quite a significant increase in uh, blood volume as well um, through like chemo dilution. So um, they get a forty-five percent increase generally. Uh, again, these are just kind of guidelines to go by, but generally speaking, up to a forty-five percent increase in in blood volume, um, which then you, relatively you only get quite a small increase in the red blood cells. Um, so because of that kind of hemodilution, these patients can become more anemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we do 28-week um, bloods to check um, the HBA um, and, we, and then we do a group and save as yeah, well. Yeah, so you do at the group. start, don't you? So when they, when they are out six to eight weeks, when they get booked by their, their mm. midwife, they'll do a full set of bloods for everything. And one of those things is the iron count, and that's like your... That's what you start with your, your pre-pregnancy. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, like Helen said, you do your 28 weeks. If there's any concern with your 28-week blood, you may be put on iron tablets. Some ladies will need to actually come in and have an iron transfusion if it's really low. Yeah. And or that's a blood transfusion or even a blood transfusion yeah. pre, like pre-delivery because you don't want that iron level to be so low before this woman's delivered. Mm. Because then you're thinking, what's it going to be like afterwards? Because we know. There's going to be, you know, you she's going to lose some blood, blood anyway, amount, yeah. and if she's already got a low blood count prior to delivering, she's not going to, what is she going to be in herself? Like, she'll deteriorate much mm. more 
than a lady's I compared to a lady's iron count who's who's been really good. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to take that into consideration as well. So you'll just keep checking these ladies. Yeah. But I think because of that like increased blood volume that they do have as well, it's like these patients are gonna be able to lose a lot more blood before they start becoming symptomatic of it as well, aren't they? Oh yeah, so um, we observe people quite closely after de- delivery. They still have that one-on-one care from us. Yeah. Um, and we do a set of observations when they've just delivered. And so after the placenta's coming, probably after some suturing as well, if they need it. Um, after we know kind of what their mm. full blood loss is, we do a set of observations. If their blood loss is started to go into hemorrhage territory we observe them much more more closely and they might need a bit of hdu care um depending on how much blood they've lost mm. and it's also as well like obviously for yourself and you're going to come in and bring a lady and we're not going to know that iron level you're not going to no. know that le- yeah, lady's yeah. blood level but we can go by what is how is this woman doing you know those observations that we do that we all do we all can do the month don't we so it's all the basic things you can tell, like you can tell in their colour, and they do deteriorate, they don't feel. they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of a sudden, just a, a, and even, like if a, it, yeah. even if it's just a little bit of, you know, not that much bleeding, like some ladies can compensate better compared to others. Yeah. Mm. Whereas, so you can just see got some ladies that have had um, a PPH of like maybe a, yeah. a litre, a litre and a half, and their observations remain stable. And then there's some ladies that you know they've lost maybe four hundred mils, and they they feel really poorly for it. Yeah. You just got to go by them, don't you? Yeah. But, um, yeah, we do have a larger blood volume. Um, so I've got next for like the respiratory system. Um, these patients can sometimes have a, an increased respiratory rate, and ultimately a decreased vital capacity due to that uterus enlarging, um, and the diaphragm becomes sort of slightly splinted. Um, I guess that's just going to put a slightly more pressure on their respiratory system they like I said their respirators are going to go up yeah and because of that decreased vital capacity um that yeah sometimes they're going to be just breathing a little bit quicker than normal i think that'll probably get everyone twitched at the i know moment. i was just it's gonna COVID. say it's not covid <laughs> it's just pregnancy related yeah. <laughs> i think anyone with maybe like high bmi or um like asthma and stuff as well oh, i would yeah. probably expect Look at the medical conditions of what they've got higher respirate with um, because actually our respirates what we look at our observations the rest are lower like so if you're in a and e they're actually their moves of a zero would be higher isn't it yeah whereas and especially with the blood pressures as well our yeah, blood pressure readings our um, remits are completely different yeah mm. to a pregnant woman so it's when they even say the high rest are actually lower aren't they yeah. near the end of pregnancy um so you just got again it just goes by clinical judgment yeah. and and what you know what risk factors I suppose the patient has mm. you know if you're thinking that they might have an element of respiratory just that's what you distress. do don't you at the start of the pregnancy again at the booking you do a baseline observations like you do with yeah. the baseline bloods and it's it's good to compare how they are when they come in as an inpatient to mm. see okay is this normal for them some ladies well, they're gonna know as well if they're yeah. really struggling to breathe you know they'll they'll probably know whether it's pregnancy or whether it's something else um yeah cool um when we mentioned about like obviously high premises and, and such things like that uh, i've just got a couple of notes here on the gi system so um, it says here that like these patients uh, can experience an increase in stomach acid um, and delay in gastric emptying due to progesterone 
uh, like effects on the placental hormones, which I didn't know actually until kind of having to delve into some of this and have a, have a so revisit. Progesterone relaxes everything. Yeah. So th- that's why you're going to see um, people having problems walking um, towards the lighter parts of pregnancy. So they've got all that pressure, but their ligaments have been softened because of the progesterone. So everything is relaxed. So with the stomach, um, everything becomes more relaxed and the um, opening relaxes so that you're getting more acid traveling up the esophagus so a lot of women will experience heartburn um and people say it's because baby's got (laughs) baby's got a lot of hair that's um, a little myth Mm. they say oh baby's got a lot of hair if you've got um you know i never correct them though if the baby's born and it's hairy they're like oh heartburn i'm like yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so, should we talk about um, complications during birth and, and different bits and bobs that can go on, um, sort of birthing emergencies per se? Um, there's a few, obviously, different ones that we need to consider. Um, so, maybe we'll talk about the first one. Should we talk about sort of cord prolapse? So, the definition of cord prolapse is where the waters have gone and the cord is pre- is the presenting part, right. um, which may be visible through the vagina. It may not, not be. be. Um, so you can have a cord presentation, which is where the the waters are intact, um, and that's not as dangerous because the waters haven't gone. Yeah, and there's no pre- there's well not no pressure, but there's less pressure on that cord. Once the waters go, the presenting part will come down, um, and then obviously if that's like a head or a bum behind the cord, it's that gonna... head or bum is going to put pressure on the cord yeah, then, yeah. and it's going to restrict the blood flow, which is going to um, cause heart rate. Yeah. So the baby. in hospital, obviously if that happens, what we do is we call it bladder well bladder filling. So that tries to just lift up the presenting part, so you're not putting any pressure on that cord. So you essentially just fill fill in the, fill bladder, in the bladder with, with, with five hundred mils yeah. of normal saline, yeah. just putting it through. Obviously, in a home setting, if that happens and you get a phone call and a, there's a cord. Um, that's what the woman's crying down the phone mm. is you just need to try and get them on all fours and sometimes you just need With to put your hand in bum, bum in the air yeah bum yeah. in the air and that just re- that is the best thing like, are we, are we to transfer with our fingers through the vagina and lift like physically sort of lift, lift up the presenting yeah, part they, away from the cord they do say for us um, you, can, you can use two fingers and have one attempt at trying to pop the cord back into the, the, the opening of the, the vagina um, but some people tend to err with a bit of caution on the side of that in case you know they say it can cause spasm um, if you're kind of playing I with the cord say, a bit too much. Don't, I wouldn't say replace the yeah. cord. It would be more alleviating the pressure mm. on the cord from either the head or the bum. Or yeah. So there was a couple of changes when we first qualified. I can remember because the guidelines changed, mm. and now it was because they used to be able to like. There's like old vis- videos when you see them touching the cord, but now they're like, don't touch the cord. If you can, just touch the presenting part to lift up yeah. and transfer it like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they just used to say, keep it warm, didn't they? Which now it's just lift the pressure yeah. up. And that's the only thing that they would expect you to do um, coming into hospital. Because what we would do... It's an emergency for us. It doesn't mean that they can't necessarily have a v- vaginal delivery because if they are about to deliver we would encourage them 
mm-hmm. to just push, um, especially if it's not the first baby. Yeah. Um, but dependent, obviously, the dilation of the cervix or what's going on, it, they might need a cesarean section. Mm. And that's why we bladder fill. I think the new the, time. yeah. I think I think the new guidelines that we've got now are to are to her away from obviously putting hands on the cord. It just says um, just use a dry pad and uh, sort of replace the cord uh, gently within the opening of the vulva to keep it warm and prevent spasm. Um, so not necessarily actually trying to. Bite yeah, really. the most important thing is just to keep it warm. Yeah, if you're transferring and, in mm. and um, you know maternal positioning because that's something that you can. Yeah, just placing the placing mum on a side and, and maybe for us to put in side a, with her some knees padding. Or, yeah. or she needs to be kneeling with a bum in the, the air yeah. and her head down. Mm. Which isn't the best position for a pregnant woman. No. Usually the side one's the best one. Yeah, for travelling for us as well, just yeah. like maybe getting her into a hospital environment, maybe just putting some padding under her hips to sort of raise the pelvis up and try and take as mm. much pressure as possible off, off the cord. Yeah. Um, cool. I think We'll move on to um, shoulder dystocia. Should we like, maybe talk about so that like a little bit? Like we said bit? earlier, like the risk factors um, can be gestational or type 1, type 2 diabetes because the distribution of the fat is slightly different around the shoulders. Um, large babies, macrosome babies. Um, so usually you find that more often, don't you, in the large babies. Um, however, our guidelines, it can actually pre-termers as well can be affected can't they and we always say first time mums you have no idea um obviously the woman's shape of the pelvis or anything like that so it's not just macrosomic babies Mm. that are affected previous shoulder dystocia yeah um i've got here from the uh royal college of obstetricians and gynecologists um published in march 2013 um that it that they say that sort of half of all these instances of shoulder dystocia uh, occur in babies weighing less than four kilograms or about mm-hmm. nine pounds. Is that kind of what you guys yeah, will be seeing in your Yeah, you can never fully predict it. Um, you know, just because the baby's of you know normal growth, it doesn't mean that it won't happen. And you know, I've had one where it was like a third baby and the, the shoulders became obstructed it's mm, not just unfortunate just, yeah, yeah it's just it's sort of and one it of those things it also goes again doesn't it it goes by the women's anatomy yeah and just because it's normal growth for the the centile and the chart that we're following doesn't mean that's mm. a normal growth that the mum can handle so sometimes it's to do with the woman's anatomy as well isn't it which you can't tell yeah. until it happens so management for pelvic anatomy for yeah. shoulder dystocia um, classically our guidelines are to place mum in McRoberts position, so yeah. make sure a, a sort of knees are raised and a, a feet are placed against maybe either if you're a double crew like somebody's shoulders. Mm. Obviously, in a hospital, you're gonna have your your kind of positional stands for that. It makes it a bit easier, but for us, maybe just get mum's feet pressed against your shoulders either side with the legs raised to kind of spread apart yeah, the legs so and open that, their so pelvis. Really flatten them on their yeah. back. Yeah. Bring so if they've got any pillows or anything, just make sure that they're flat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and their legs right up. Yeah. Um, I think it's about 90%. I was just going to say, I did my obstetric day the other day. It's 93% will deliver, will deliver in a McRoberts position, the shoulders. Without any extra yeah. kind yeah. of interventions. Yeah. So, but the most important thing is if you're going to do McRoberts, that you do it, if it's because usually there's, there's, most of the time there's two of you, isn't there? Mm. Make sure you pull the legs forward first, so straighten the legs out, yeah. and then pull it back. 
Yeah. Right, and that okay. it, it hurts them, it does hurt the woman. Yeah. But it just aids that just makes the diameter much easier for the baby to be. So straighten the legs out first and then yeah, push them back. Straighten them out yeah. first and then pull them back, yeah. isn't okay. it? Um and it, obviously in, in the seven percent of cases where that doesn't work, um we tend to look at it's like it's, it's like a CPR or sort of pressure on the suprapubic area, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can pressure. you can maintain that pressure or you can do the rocking motion, but it should be you need to do it on the um, fetal back yeah. position, which obviously you may not know. But if you don't know, we tell you just to do it in the middle and just rock. Yeah. Um, and there's someone trying to deliver the baby as you're doing that. So mm. it is really difficult, especially if you're in a home setting, because you want the legs back. So usually in a hospital, we have about six, seven, eight <laughs> people in a room yeah, helping yeah. us. Whereas in a home setting, you'll need to get the, whoever's there to help yeah. you. Yeah. Um, because obviously yeah. this, this condition is is really time critical, isn't it? Yeah. Like you know, um, if that baby isn't delivered, becomes it, hypoxic quite quickly. Yeah. So I think you've got five minutes. Five minutes. But yeah. So yeah. the pH drops naught point naught one every thirty seconds, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Is it naught point one? Five minutes you've got to yeah. deliver this baby. Yeah. <laughs> Bottom line, but if shoulders associate is present. Out. Five minutes. So they minutes. used to say so every um, maneuver that you do, obviously the McRoberts, if that doesn't work after thirty seconds, yeah, you go on, on to the your superpubic pressure. Yeah, yeah. After thirty seconds, obviously, it depends how confident you are in in a home setting. What mm. we would do would be then going into internal maneuvers to try and deliver that shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, what you could do at home will put the lady on all fours because that actually can rock the change the position mm. and it can rock the, the shoulder yeah. okay. the, the shoulder that's impacted so if it's not coming get them on all fours straight away and even that motion sometimes mm. helps deliver the baby it is quite a like thankfully it's quite a rare occurrence as well isn't yeah. it like um so i've got a statistic here that says that shoulder dystocia occurs in about roughly about one in every 150 um vaginal births which is 0.7 percent so it is thankfully quite yeah. a rare occurrence and I mean, like i said 93 percent had... of those are going to are going to resolve with Roberts, aren't they? I've had one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been quite far. I've been quite far five years, and I personally have had one. I've had one in the pre-hospital environment, and that was um, again we 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 presented with that kind of classical head bobbing mm. thing we talked about earlier. So the baby's head comes out, yeah, turtle neck in, yeah. Um, head comes out, and then there's that kind of sucking back in, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Um, and baby can sort of start to become a bit of an odd colour. Um, in the case of ours, it became a bit of a strange colour. But um, at Robert's position, again, thankfully for our baby, it did it resolves. Yeah, straight away. I had, I've had a couple, to be fair. But the one time, the the last one I actually had was a couple of weeks ago, and um, that shoulder just wasn't coming. I think yeah. it was three minutes, and that was the longest time. But I have been in one when it was five yeah. at my old trust. So uh, next complication that we're going to talk about is um, malpresentation, so a breech birth. Um, so this is when the baby comes out in like a, a bit of an unorthodox position, shall we say? Um, do you guys want to? So it's either um, buttocks or foot. Yeah. So not a head. Yeah. Um, this it just can cause complications. Just for one, because the head can get trapped. Um, so if the cervix hasn't dilated, especially with preterm deliveries, yeah. if the cervix hasn't fully dilated, 
the the bum and the legs can start delivering in the body the head can actually get stuck um and then also uh, because obviously with a cephalic or head presentation as the baby's delivering when the head comes out yes the cord has been a little bit compressed inside but not as much as when the legs and the bodies come out first and that cord's there yeah so that's why we worry isn't it but most of the time with breech deliveries they're quick yeah and the best thing to do is just to leave it alone mm. um like you know all fours positions really good just to try and let that baby hang and it's really tempting to not touch that baby yeah i mean our, our guidance on sort of a paramedic pre-hospital guidance on uh, breech birth is, is very strict it's just hands off the breech really um there's certain trusts around in the uk that have sort of varying local guidance on it but um i think that's somewhat just worth bearing in mind with your, with your individual trust or your employer um but uh certainly i know in the areas where i work it's just hands off hands and off the breach don't don't touch that's what we the baby that's our guidelines isn't it but once you've once you've touched so sometimes like for you know you might need you to might touch. need to, to help deliver this um to help deliver the legs help deliver the the arms but once you've done it once you need to carry on and do the maneuvers until that baby's delivered mm. but most of the time it does come on its own yeah. doesn't it um like you said you need to let the the baby hang um because it allows the the chin to come down onto its chest and that helps with the diameters of the head so the 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 baby's going to come through nicely um and not you know get stuck what i would just say just make sure you have some towels underneath just because when this baby comes it will come and you probably won't catch it in time yeah because it, it just to shoot out so just make sure there's a comfortable environment for this baby to, to land on yeah, yeah. Some, <laughs> at least it's not head to, first somewhere, somewhere to catch yeah so like especially at home like on a chair and stuff is good position as yeah well, isn't it? so the mum could be like on the edge of the chair yeah um or sort of on all fours on on like a sofa or something like that yeah um so yeah, I mean, our, our guidance is, is depends on what part of the the baby is is, is presenting first. Um, so like it says in Jail Calc guidelines twenty seventeen update that if the legs present first and well, if the legs delay the birth of the body, um, it does say to apply sort of gentle pressure to the back of the baby's knees, uh, like the popliteal fossa, uh, enabling the birth of sort of each individual leg. But like you said, once you get kind of like hands on with these births, so, yeah, once you, you've done that, yeah. you're committed. To yeah, it. you're committed because the baby's like yeah stimulated hasn't it yeah, yeah. so then you'll have quick. to age after that the after baby that, the has a, na- a natural mechanism of what what it needs to do to be born and once you start touching it that goes by the by so then it, you yeah, have goes, to take have over to it and, and, like, I don't want and to make those natural mechanisms happen yeah, yeah. okay okay um so i think for in terms of like birthing emergencies that's we've covered dystocia we've gone through a cord prolapse and we've gone through breech birth um just a a fun fact on the breech birth before we move on um so i've got the statistics it's roughly around uh, three to five percent of pregnant women at terms of 37 to 40 weeks will have a breech so it's not it's not it's not that many is it but i suppose um it's enough to certainly uh warrant knowing (laughs) And the guidelines you know, there are undiagnosed breaches it does it does happen even though we do have scans um 
and stuff now you know sometimes um flyages with higher bmi or even sometimes when they've got really like strong abdominal mm. muscles it's you you know your palpation isn't always 100 percent, so we might get it wrong mm. um or sometimes it, it can just feel that it's head you, you it is weird sometimes oh, because i've a... had a lady where i really thought it was breech and the scandal was cephalic and i was so surprised <laughs> but you know you just you you don't always get it you right. don't know do do. especially the ones that have had many children yeah so, um the grandma tips as we call them mm. they're everything's more much more relaxed so it's this baby's able to move around in position and so one minute yeah. it could be cephalic and then the next minute there's Transfer, a foot hanging out so, yeah yeah but obviously, if we know that there's a breach, and um, especially at our hospital, they're very reluctant to deliver breaches, aren't they? Like an induction. So if it was a confirmed breach at term, mm. they would offer them the ECV to turn in the baby if everything was okay. Cool. So, um, so we'll move on to uh, complications for mum now. Um, now we've kind of covered complications for baby. Um, so preeclampsia or eclampsia is um, something we need to consider with these patients, um, kind of both pre-hospitally and in the hospital environment. Um, so preeclampsia, according to the NICE guidance 2011, um, is uh, defined as new hypertension um, after 20 weeks with significant proteinuria, and it's classified as sort of mild, moderate, and severe um, in the mother's sort of uh, blood pressure readings. Uh, mild, we sort of see a blood pressure classification of 140 to 149 systolic um, over 90 to 99 diastolic. Um, and then your next category is, is sort of between 150 and 159 systolic. Um, moving on to your severe cases, um, which will be a blood pressure of over 160 um, systolic or over 110 diastolic. Um, I didn't know before sort of today. Um, I just found this interesting sort of um, fact from Campwell 2011. So preeclampsia and eclampsia are the second most common cause of maternal death after sepsis. Yeah. I didn't know that. So yeah. um, so actually last year, because we've just had our um, yearly, you know, and they look at all the, all the maternal statistics oh, and yeah. stuff, there was no the deaths mm. preeclampsia, so it was true. Um, but we're better. At, we're much better at detecting it now. And what we do, there's been um, a lot of research on it and how we can actually not prevent it because you can't prevent it. But how can we manage it? Mm. And yeah. how can we um, support these ladies? Because actually, it's, it's something that starts so early in pregnancy, um, but it doesn't present itself till later on. Mm. Um, so it's to do with the spiral arteries in the uterus. So that's something from like very early days, the development of everything. And then it presents itself a little bit later on. Mm. And some ladies will have essential hypertension as well. So it's, you know, are we looking at preeclampsia or are we looking at hypertension? Yeah, just an underlying condition. Um, Obviously, with preeclampsia, the the risk is that they're going to become eclamptic and have a a fit, which is what we don't want. So we want to see those patients and, and assess them and treat them accordingly mm. and bring that blood pressure down. So the symptoms they're going to get are headache, uh, blood, well, 
blurred vision or um, visual disturbances, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, epigastric pain, edema, significant edema, which might... Especially in the face. Yeah. Because obviously of... quite a lot of pregnant women do get edema mm. anyway. It's quite a, like a rapid progressing edema, yeah, isn't it? it with and you can, people quickly. can tell. Like you, there's ladies or that will look w- after. Yeah, and they will say, I'm really puffy and swollen. It's fear in the face. Um uh, can you get like uh, any like muscle twitching or tremors or things like that? Is that like a less common presentation? That that would make me nervous if we were having muscle twitching. Yeah, twitching. <laughs> yeah, that, um, that kind of thing in pre-convulsions, really. Aren't yeah, you? that yeah. would be. She, she's past that. Mm. She'll be going into a clamptic fit. Yeah, twitching, which I've only ever seen once. Yeah, in in like a like an emergency kind of uh, setting or like pre-hospital setting for us, the management of preeclamptic condition is obviously fairly limited so really we're just going to be uh, maintaining patients oxygen levels above 94 percent if they've reached um, the kind of more severe end of the spectrum of this um, obviously gaining IV access um, and then preparing for convulsions if we think it's getting towards the more severe end of the spectrum of, of hypertension um, and then obviously just managing any seizures just as per as yeah. per normal GR count mm-hmm. guidelines as benzodiazepines um, considering those for seizures lasting longer than, than, than five minutes um, or kind of recurrent seizures um, we've got either well it depends on your local PGDs but we're licensed to sort of midaz- uh, midazolam in certain uh, geographical areas maybe we'll have a PGD for midazolam um, and then obviously GRCalc we are we have diazepam that we can give IV as well I suppose be aware that 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 woman may be on regular medication as well because you know she's going to see a community midwife quite frequently so she may already be taking labetalol or nifedipine um yeah definitely just ask them the question as well because sometimes they just forget to take them and it's actually quite amazing how like they can be affected if they're not regularly taking their medication Mm. so that could be just a question obviously if she's um twitching then just get her in hospital yeah and we'll just leave it to the anaesthetist then yeah because all those drugs that you just said then i was like (laughs) 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 not heard of them we we tend to just uh, administer the certain antihypertensives yeah um and then uh, we use magnesium Mm. sulfate as a a treatment um and that that goes over quite a long time um that just settles their blood pressure doesn't it yeah it doesn't make it go quickly right Depend well, depending on how quickly you give it, sometimes it can reduce it quite a lot. But um, yeah, so we we tend to use that in hospital, and that, that has neuroprotective um, effects for the baby as well, if especially if they're preterm because they're more likely to deliver preterm, you know, because of the condition, it will worsen as the pregnancy goes on. Yeah. Um, PPH, um, postpartum hemorrhage or so antepartum hemorrhage. You know, raised blood pressure. Yeah can make them have hemorrhage obviously right. because their vessels are more constricted okay. they're going to pump out blood faster so um you know someone with preeclampsia you would actually think they might have yeah. a hemorrhage if the blood pressure is not well controlled at delivery mm-hmm. um so but like there, there's multiple risk factors for hemorrhage so yeah. like we said saying before with diabetics that if they're more likely to have a big baby they've got a more gravid uterus it's got to contract down a lot more than someone that's had a smaller Especially baby. Especially for, for you to think about as well, being the paramedic there, a precipitate labour. Mm-hmm. Um, you've actually got higher chances of having um, a PPH because obviously it's gone so quickly, the uterus doesn't know to not contract. Yeah, it hasn't had that time, so, has it? Yeah. yeah, so it's really, that's one of the big things, especially in the home setting, isn't it? 
because most of the times in a home setting you're gonna have a quick delivery mm. so you've yeah. got to keep an eye out on that and it's just what to do really yeah um, so it's it's tone trauma thrombin and what's the other one <laughs> i always forget hey, one of them tissue tissue that's it yeah. yeah so you know thinking of it in a logical way once the placenta's out Obviously, we would check that placenta for completeness, but from your perspective, you know, it has the uterus contracted as much as you would expect. You know, you want it to be below the umbilicus, should feel firm like a cricket ball. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like that. What, you know, why? Is this where you might sort of think about a fundal massage? Yeah, so that's yeah, really useful. In the, um, in the home setting. And bladder emptying as well, mm-hmm. um, because that can, if the bladder's extended it can prevent the uterus contracting down as well mm. um so obviously a bit of fundal massage and um bladder emptying the most important thing can you put two cannulas in <laughs> in each hand or arm <laughs> so we're ready yeah yeah so uh, any bleeding cannula cool yeah so i've got the um gel calc guidelines here for uh postpartum hemorrhage so pre uh, we're going to just administer um, oxygen to these patients if their O2 sats are lower than 94% obviously we're just going to maintain at 94 and above then we don't need any supplemental oxygen um, so the gel calc algorithm goes down in stages so if we've got uterine atonia or the placenta has been delivered um, we're going to consider a fundal massage that's just rubbing in circular motions around the level of the umbilicus um, with the kind of cupped hand technique they say um, if BP is less than 140 over 90 then we can consider administering Sintimetrin um, 1 mil intramuscularly um, however as the BP is more than 140 over 90 um, we can consider giving misoprostol 800 micrograms sublingually um, if the airway is compromised then um, guidelines are actually to administer misoprostol rectally um, I think it's important to get IV access. We're going to get bilateral IV access for these patients. Yes, we are. Uh, preferably yes, with a large bore cannula. Yeah, we're not, gonna, yeah, we're not going to mess around shoving a, a pink in. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, for ongoing bleeding, we also carry TXA or tranexamic acid, uh, which is to be given one gram IV over 10 minutes, preferably en route to hospital by this point. Um, and it's, it's, if, if you can as well, try and keep an accurate record of the blood loss. So, yep. um, you know, as much as you can, obviously. It's very difficult, yeah. isn't it? Even still now, we're either overestimate or underestimate. But yeah. it just gives us an idea how much is lost when they've come into hospital mm-hmm. and what the next steps are, really. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think it's important just to gauge, isn't it, yeah, really? Yeah, estimate is fine, isn't it? It's yeah. just... just... Just worth noting as well that in these patients where the placenta has not been delivered... Um, so in cases of uterine atony, um, do not perform a fundal massage. I think guidance is. Yeah. Um, it does sort of stipulate that it may provoke partial separation of the placenta and then cause like worsening hemorrhage if that placenta is still, still retained in there. Uh, you don't want the uterus to contract down while the placenta is still in situ because actually then the cervix can start um, closing again and it's going to become intract. So you, again, like we said about um, breastfeeding, keeping the baby skin to skin, trying to get that placenta to deliver on its own, yeah. um, bladder emptying, and, and trying to in- encourage a woman if she feels 
urge is to push because they will start saying, oh, I'm feeling pain, mm. oh, I've got pains, and encourage them to push it out if, if they can. Yeah. yeah, which briefly brush over antepartum hemorrhage as well, which is uh, bleeding that takes place obviously before um, before labour. Uh, not before labour, sorry, before... So it can happen before, at any before time. the baby is born. Yeah, yeah, yeah those so are the, that's what I'm looking for. So it can happen when they're in labour, um, and it, it can happen when they're not in labour. Obviously, we've got conditions that make you more prone to bleeding, such as um, placenta previa, which way the placenta's covering the awesome the placenta separation as well, so we can call it an abruption. Mm-hmm. That can be a reason for um, an antepartum hemorrhage. Yeah. So obviously, with yourselves, the most important thing, again, is to put two cannulas in. And bring straight to hospital, and get them. Get make sure That's you're getting that accurate history as well, because if they've got something like a placenta preview, they're going to know want, about it. Yeah, sort of had scans. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously with them, we know that that we don't yeah. want that baby to come vaginally. We're going to need to do cesarean section if the bleeding is significant enough. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if like if like Lauren was saying, if it's abruption, um, depends on what sort of severity is if the bleeding does end up stopping and things that are okay she would have a closer observation in hospital but yeah. if it's starting to become an emergency where we see if um the fetus isn't coping she would again probably need imminent delivery by cesarean yeah it depends like at what level of the spectrum that that yeah. placenta abruption or placenta previa is at doesn't it and how much the bleeding is you it know is, if, yeah. if it's if it's significant then they're, they're more likely to want to It all deliver. depends on that, is it? But the first thing that we do, isn't it, if someone comes in with a PV bleed, we do the same management. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's always just making sure that we've got IV access. I've got the blood so we know what blood group she is. Yeah. And that'll be for everybody. Mm. So if those cannulas are already in, then at least we know we've got IV access. If we need fluids, if we need to go Post to theatre, anything, mm. then that's already ready. It does take that little... I know it's something so small, but it takes off a lot of pressure, doesn't it? Because yeah. sometimes trying to get a cannula in when there's everyone else around her and you're trying to get a million one things done it's yeah. difficult to try and get I think, that I think, yeah i think for us certainly like if there's any sort of suspicion of like uh malpositioning of the, of the placenta like whether they're talking uh abruption or or previa and they've got bleeding certainly they'll be coming in for an assessment um and obviously like you said if that bleeding is significant then um that will be popping in type like i said bilateral IV access for, for just general uh, hemorrhage protocol anyway. Um, cool. Um, so I think that one of the last things we've got to talk about really is um, preterm delivery. Um, so babies that are born, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it before 37 weeks? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So term for us is 37 weeks of birth. Um, although, you know, a lot of women consider it to be 40 weeks. Um, so you know, if you do get someone that delivers above thirty-seven weeks and they're concerned that the baby's preterm, you know, just reassure them that it's actually normal. Um, it's, it's sort of obviously before that that we worry yeah. a bit more. So the only thing is, especially with preterm deliveries, again, they can go much quicker because they're much smaller. Um, so obviously, being in the home environment, it's just encourage them not to just to keep breathing. You don't want to have a preterm delivery at home if you can help it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just absolutely give it, not. So just give them that internox and just tell them to just breathe. Yeah, encourage them. And to encourage them to just do that, yeah. Because if, obviously, we haven't got any support, and it depends, obviously, how severe preterm it is. Um, 
just get them into hospital. Yeah. Not really much we can ask you for then. Yeah, I think with any any kind of preterm delivery, really, it's just going to be a, like rapid rapid transfer, really, isn't it? And just managing what what you can in a in a pre. And again, moment. just getting as much history because sometimes it just it's just a bit helpful, isn't it? Like all the ladies at the moment, we're all um, they've all got apps now for all their documents. So actually, it might be a little bit easier to gain a bit more information. Um, and like, uh, there's a another risk of the fact that the preterm is that they are more likely to be malpresentation, so more likely to be breach. Um, core than, prolapse. Yeah, more likely to have core prolapse. You know. In a nice way, tell them to shut their legs, keep on the side and breathe. Yeah. Mm, I think a lot of these um, preterm deliveries as well, they're going to need probably some assistance with their ventilation, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know our guidance certainly says that um, this group of babies are likely to sort of be deficient in surfactant. Um, yeah. So uh, this surfactant reduces alveoli um, surface tension and keeps the lungs alveoli sort of open normally um, during expiration. Um, but with that being lacking or inadequate we're going to have to really just provide some, a little bit of additional support yeah. um, with their ventilations um, but you know it's it's just managing that as, as you find really isn't it yeah so um, you know depending on gestation as well in, when say if we have like a 36 or even a 34 week baby deliver vaginally comes out quite they early. do tend to come out yeah. in a better condition um, than if, if they're born via cesarean section because mm. obviously they're getting a good old squeeze um, you know it, it's probably under 34 weeks that you're really really going to be more concerned about um, the state of them at delivery and whether they're going to breathe very well or not Um you know, obviously, you want to above thirty weeks. You're going to want to give them a good stimulation and try and get them the, to quiet on their own. Yeah, yeah I think but you may need to provide respiratory support. Yeah, and it's really for yeah. us as well. It's 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 just trying to find obviously the the smallest pediatric mass that's available yeah. um, to us because these babies are going to be really really tiny, aren't yeah. they? So um, I think it's just going to be a, a a best fit make do scenario for us. Um, with the equipment that we've got pre-hospital, but for us that will just be our, the smallest paediatric mass that we can find um, and just being really careful um, not to overvent these patients because their, their capacity is obviously going to be yeah, significantly yeah, reduced, so it's just going to be a case of really being really mindful of um, not venting them to excess Yeah To get them in And keep it, again, make sure they keep warm It's the most important, you know, yeah they, they're going to lose heat very very quickly and you want that baby to be nice and warm so yeah so, so babies less than um, 30 weeks then um, there's going to be quite a, a set of different considerations I mean any kind of preterm but specifically below 30 um, yeah they're more likely to need uh, help and support um, so from like when we deliver in hospital uh, we pop them in a plastic bag mm-hmm. uh, without drying them so that keeps them warm because it, it traps all that water inside the bag yeah. from so if you deliver obviously in a home setting even if you have got a carrier bag just make sure it's really warm in the house mm-hmm. um, and just put them in there don't simulate them and just get them straight into hospital yeah um keeping them nice and warm yeah that is just the only thing that's the only thing you can do especially yeah. when you're transferring because 
even as midwives at 30 weeks, we do hand over the resuscitation to the neonatal team. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very difficult and there's different steps as well, isn't there? Yeah, we, we only do so much and Before then we hand over, over to them. There's different medications, so the best thing would just be, if you can, even if you've got a carry bag at home, put them in there, make sure baby's warm and transfer as transfer like clean urgently. As, as clean as possible as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we do have guidance as well that um, is in place for um, babies born um, in these early stages, especially where viability might be um, kind of questionable. Um, so particularly that, that kind of lies more below like 24 weeks. Um, so like between 20 and 24, you, you, you are going to have those cases where viability is... Uh, so, so our guidance has changed now. So we can re- resusc- well, I suppose neonates can resuscitate babies from twenty-two weeks gestation, mm. but they must be over five hundred grams also. Yeah, so yeah. they, even if they were attending a preterm delivery, they would weigh the baby, and if the baby's less than five hundred, um, you know, they might not then intervene. Yeah. So you know, we've, from your perspective we're not going to expect you to do anything because that's not a decision you would make anyway it's just just, you know the transfer yeah our our guidance is just like um so when when attending births between 20 and 24 weeks um all the gestation is unknown but there are signs of life um the recommendations for us are just maintain ventilation using the smallest pediatric mask and provide effective ventilations with the baby lying flat assess the heart rate um, and do not expect the chest to move at this gestation because of just obviously the way it's developed. Um, if ventilations are effective, the heart rate will remain stable or improve. Um, so ensure the head is covered and um, with the baby, obviously just a normal guidance with the baby in a small hat. Um, pre-alert to the nearest ED um, where, you know, stating whether the mother or not is traveling with the baby. Um, where there are signs of life, ventilation should be continued, it says in Gerald Calc's guidance, uh, until the neonatal team can assess, I think you might have mentioned it, the baby's weight. Yeah. Um, and the team will then consider the ongoing management or the best the best interests of the, of, the, of the patient and the family. Um, I've got here, sort of need, neither midwife nor ambulance clinician um, should discontinue resuscitative events. Um, so once you've started, obviously uh, on transfer, you've got to carry on. And obviously, a consideration yeah. if the baby's already delivered, you might end up needing to transfer to hospital with level three neonatal. Yeah. Um, so just keep on mind, like some certain hospitals don't have level three, do they? Yeah. So mm. level three is the highest level of care, and they can um, provide care for more preterm babies. So, you know, one of our hospitals, they will only take babies from. About four weeks gestation. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the hospital me and Lauren work at, um, you know, it's all, all gestations. Yeah. Uh, so it's just to be just to be, be mindful. mindful. And and ring in the hospital to let them know that you're coming as well. Yeah. Yeah. So they may the, not be booked with us. Uh, but the team can be on standby then as well mm. to meet the requirements. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I, I think that's. Uh, I think that's the end of the show, really, isn't it? I think that's the end of the podcast. So thank you both for, for coming in. Um, Thanks for really having great. us, yeah. And just remember, although we may roll our eyes at you coming in, it's not that we hate paramedics. No. <laughs> we just might be very we're busy. Not, we're well, not mad wives. There's no beds. <laughs> I, I think you just know we're going to like drink all your tea, eat all your biscuits, 
and then and go uh, yeah and then come and then, the sandwiches yeah and then leave <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool thanks for coming in guys all Thank right that's all we have time for today um, thank you very much for listening I hope you enjoyed it um, thank you very much for Lauren and Helen for coming along and uh, sharing with us their expertise so just a quick summary of what we covered before we finish today um, we've covered physiology uh, birthing, normal birthing and birthing complications, care of the newborn preterm delivery and complications for mother Thank you very much for listening and uh, see you next time. Take care.